started this morning. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Hope you all had a wonderful holiday season. It's great to see you on the eve of 2024. Welcome all of you as well as watching us online. We're so glad you're able to worship with us this morning. Really just a couple announcements and things have been kind of slow this week with everyone spending time with family and friends. Want to let you know about our holiday schedule for this week. Uh, there's no afternoon activities today. Our office will be closed tomorrow, but then we get back on the regular schedule of our office hours starting on Tuesday. There is no midweek service this Wednesday. Everything in that regard will kick back in next weekend with our Sunday morning Bible studies, with our uh, Wednesday night services, so everything will kick in um, after next week. So we're very excited about getting in that schedule again of sharing in community and getting with each other with these wonderful events and Bible studies to share life together. If you have any questions about that, you can get on our website at gatewaybaptist.com on the news and events page, and you'll get to see the schedule and everything is there. We also want to encourage all of you this week. Um, we've mentioned it a few times throughout the past couple of weeks, but our college ministry students are heading up to Louisville, Kentucky this week. Pastor Grady's going with them as well as Parker Harris and Aaron Harris. Uh, they're going up to the Cross Conference. It's a wonderful conference each year for college students to go up. It's a lot, very much about missional living, and this specific topic this year is about living our lives for the glory of God. So we just want you to be aware of that, to be praying for them. This will be a transforming week for each of our students um, as they go up, and they're going to hear some dynamic teaching. They have small group time, breakout sessions, worship, everything. So just be praying for them this week as they head up there. So I'd ask you to please stand as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning. Just want to remind us this morning from Psalm 103. One of my favorite psalms, just about the God we serve, the God we love. The Lord got us through 2023 and is now preparing us for 2024. Just want to hear these words from the Psalm of David. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 13. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Let's worship him this morning. the valley with you by our side. You will go before us. You will lead the way. We have found a refuge only you can say. 
is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us?
shepherd guide us through each day. Oh, how we want to follow you. Come live way our way made clear. Let perfect love drive out our fear. Be thou our vision now and here. In all of our tomorrows. Winter makes us reminisce of warmer days so distant now. Of cherishing the sun once kissed. Whose beauty passed behind the clouds Let all our fond and longing tears Remind us we are pilgrims here We trust you sovereign of our years With all of our Peace in our strife, 
and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. 
I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Whether it's calling a bird of prey from the east or a man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it and surely I will do it. And Lord, I have to confess every time I read this scripture, which is one of my favorites, it's very sobering because Lord, this past year, many of us, we've experienced your good pleasure. We have experienced your plans coming to fruition. And sometimes that comes with pain and suffering and sorrow and grief and loss. And other times, wonderful, great joy. And Lord, I just thank you that as we just sung, that we trust the sovereign of our years. That you are good and faithful and just and loving and kind. Even in the midst of our questions and sometimes even our doubt, we trust you, Lord. You are faithful. And Lord, as many, we're in, in our humanness, in our finite minds. We reflect on the past year. We think about how things have gone, good and bad. How our walk has been with you. How we've been with others, relationships, situations in our lives. But God, you don't change. You are steadfast and faithful, even in the midst of our pain and tears. And Lord, we just come to worship you today and recognize and acknowledge your sovereignty over all things that you will fulfill all that you have planned and you will meet us in those dark places, in those trying times, those grieving places with your love, grace, and comfort. And God, we rejoice and thank you for the joy that we've experienced with you this year. All the amazing glory stories we've experienced of seeing your hand move in our lives and how we never should take for granted the fact that we get to have an intimate personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That is astounding that we get to know you intimately. We get to hear your voice. We get to commune with you daily and have fellowship. And I pray, Lord, as we go into this new year, that we continue to acknowledge that and recognize that and fall on our face before you with that reality. And that we would live our lives for others, that we would live missionally, that we would live for your glory, that your name and your renown would be exalted in our lives and in our spheres of influence. That as we just saying, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be a part of our daily witness, however you see fit. We praise you for your salvation. We praise you for, as we read earlier, for rescuing us, for healing our diseases, for satisfying us. That's the God you are. And I pray for us as a faith family that we would have that in the forefront of our minds as we begin a new year tomorrow to live for your glory. And Lord, for these students that are going tomorrow and starting off this new year at this conference, God, what a wonderful opportunity to be able to be fed and discipled and experience relationship and community with the rest of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that they would come back different and new, revived, transformed, that you would speak to them, guide them, Lord. There may be directions that you send many of these young men and women to missions globally. This could be a time where you speak that as you did to me almost 30 years ago. Lord, we just pray you would bless this time. Protect and watch over these students as they drive up and back. Give Grady and Parker and Aaron and all those adults volunteering to go just wisdom and just to be able to guide and direct some of the conversations they may have at the restaurants, wherever it is, God, that they would experience your presence, Lord. 
And Lord, I just was made aware, and we've prayed this at different times, Lord, but today I want to recognize and for us, God, to pray for the persecuted church. For our brothers and sisters in Christ, right now as we speak, who may be in caves or hovering in villages or huts or in the wilderness, maybe in homes in China hiding out because their lives are in danger because they believe and have placed their faith in you. And Lord, my heart was so grieved yesterday as I read, on Christmas Day alone, over a hundred of our brothers and sisters were murdered and slaughtered because of their faith in Nigeria. Because of what the enemy is doing to bring this false ideology, this false philosophy that thinks that to experience this jihad, that they are to wipe out Christians. God, we pray for those in that community right now that are still living and grieving the body of Christ, the church, the pastors in those communities, in those villages, God. I don't even know what to pray, but that your supernatural power would show up, that you would bring protection, that you would bring wisdom, that you would bring guidance to the military and the government to help in that regard to protect our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we know that he entered into heaven with beautiful scarlet robe as they were martyred for their faith. And there are thousands upon thousands across the world that we can pray for the same thing. And God, we just pray, you know who they are, that you would show up just as you did with Paul and Silas in the prison. You're the same God, that you would show up and bring freedom and protection to those that are in danger. And more importantly, that your gospel would continue to go forth and that men and women would come to saving faith through this to know you personally and intimately. God, may we never take for granted what we get to experience right now in this room, the freedoms we have, the liberty we have, and we have brothers and sisters suffering right now and in danger. And we thank you for what we have here, but may we remember to pray for them. God, as we do, we thank you and we are blessed. We are blessed people. We thank you for how you have blessed us this past year financially with resources, with all that you provided for us, Lord. We are so grateful. And we continue to ask for your blessing upon the resources that we have here at Gateway to, to steward with what we have, Lord, for your sake of your kingdom and what you desire to do in and through this local congregation. We are so blessed and we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for our pastor. We thank you for Grady, for having him here to shepherd us. Thank you for his heart to love us and protect us and to sow into us weekly. Just pray your blessing upon him now as he brings your word. May he speak your truth, God, that you would literally, your Holy Spirit, fill him afresh as he brings your precious word to us today. God, we love you. We praise you. You are worthy of it all. You receive all honor and glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to find Genesis chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. It's good to have the first or fourth graders in with us today with no kids worship, but we're glad that you guys are present with us, boys and girls. So find Genesis chapter 3 as we pick back up our year-long study of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, so these foundations of our faith. Now, as you find, I want to ask you, have you ever heard a kid try to pass the blame for something they did? Now, it can be really funny to hear sometimes, right? You know, I wouldn't have hit him if you hadn't called me that name, right? Or I only took the toy because that kid never played with it. Or I only ate the cookie because your dinner was late tonight, mom and dad. There's kids get so creative in not owning up to their own sin, but passing the blame. And if you think back to your childhood, perhaps you remember saying things like that. But the reality is we as adults do the exact same thing. We just know how to frame it in such a way it sounds more compelling 
especially to ourselves. We all want to pass the blame. We do not like to own up to our sin. And you hear it all the time when we say things, even in kind of jest, like, well, I'd be a patient person if it wasn't for the Montgomery drivers. And so we justify our sin of impatience by blaming that person who cut us off on Taylor Road, right? Or we say things like, I would not lose my temper if my boss actually took a minute to care. And so we justify our sinful outbursts by blaming our work environment. Or I would not worry about money if I just got a raise. And so we justify our sinful worry by convincing ourselves the problem is our circumstances. And we go on and on. I just ignore my supervisor because he's incompetent. I don't follow those laws because they're illogical. Or I don't follow those laws because no one enforces them. Yeah, I would not lust if I was not so bombarded with these images. It's not, I'm not critical. I can't help that those around me are stupid. I'm not gossiping. Others start the conversation. I'm just stating the facts. I give to the church admissions if I just had a little more money. But see, we don't just do that with one another. We do that with God at times. You hear it said all the time, I can't change that. That's just who I am. Or in the church, I can't change that. That's just how God made me. God gifted me this way, and I'm just exercising that gift. Perhaps the best one I ever heard was actually told to me, not, not here, so don't worry who this might be here. This is not from Gateway, but I had a previous church I was at. I had a member sit down and meet me with a long list of complaints and disgruntlements. And he said to me, in all seriousness, Grady, God has given me the spiritual gift of fault finding. I'm here to help you see your problems. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what to say to that one because I don't recall seeing fault finding in the spiritual gifts list in the New Testament, but it reveals our hearts, not only his heart, but my heart and your heart as well, how easily we try to hide our own sin from ourselves and how we try to blame circumstances, blame other people, even blame God. Now, this is not a new tendency. It's not unique to American culture. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we see that tendency in the very first people in Adam and in Eve, and we see it immediately as sin enters the world. So before we jump into our text today to see, I want to remind you where we are in Genesis since we took a break last week for Christmas. We saw in Genesis 1 and 2, God make a perfect world. We saw God generously provide everything that his people needed. We saw God in his goodness and generosity, even giving moral boundaries, even giving a command to people to remind them that they are not God. But we saw temptation come in. We saw sin come in. And we saw the brokenness exponentially begin to grow. And as we see the brokenness of the world in recent weeks, we saw, for example, back in verse 7, just a quick review, we saw shame come into the world. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So we see in the perfection of the world that's now broken, there's shame and embarrassment. We saw the first feeble attempt at trying to deal with sin ourselves. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. But things only get worse. We saw fear enter the human experience. In verse 8, in the very next verse, we see them and God comes. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You see it in verse 10 as well when God confronts Adam. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. And so we see how exponentially sin is growing and the problems of sin are growing once it enters the world. But we see God pursuing sinners. Back in verse 9, you see God calling out to the man and saying to him, where are you? In verse 11, you see God continuing the questions as well. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And just to remind you from two weeks ago, God is not asking questions to learn information here. God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. He's asking questions to bring people to repentance. But they do not repent. What do they do instead? 
You know, those very things that we were just laughing about a minute ago, they try to pass the blame. They do what we started doing as young children have done throughout our own lives. They try to pass the blame for their sin. And so as we look today at verses 11 through 13 of Genesis chapter 3, I want you to, as we read, to look for how Adam and Eve dealt with their sin in a bad way, how they responded wrongly to being confronted with their sin. But I want us to move beyond this just being a nice historical story. This is real history. This is God telling us what happened in the past. But we need to move beyond that to see this as a mirror to our own soul. Because starting really young, I did it and you did it, we found creative ways to not own up to our own sin. So we need to let this text be a mirror to our own soul and to say, Lord, how am I doing this very thing? Where do I need to repent as well? So Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We'll have the words on the screen for you as well. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Starting back in verse 11, where we left off two weeks ago. He, this is God, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to study it freely and openly together. And we pray as we dig into your word that your word would show us who you are and your truth and your holiness. Lord, I pray you would also be a mirror into our own souls. You know how easily we want to hide our sin, how easily I want to hide my sin, how easily these brothers and sisters want to hide their sin. And so I pray today your word would convict us, would challenge us, would help us see what it looks like to repent and run to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So in the text we just read today, Adam and Eve play the blame game. They pass the blame. They do so in three different ways. They make three attempts at passing the blame to other people. So let's look at all three of their attempts, but we're going to look at them in reverse order. So sorry for those who are more type A. We're going to start at the, be- the end of the text and work backwards on this one because the first one is the worst. So I want us to go from, they're all bad, but the best of the bad, right, to the worst of the bad to see what happens here. And again, as we read this, I want to, to ask the Lord to show us, Lord, how am I doing this in my life. So the first blame game here, Eve tries to blame Satan. So the first one to look at this morning, Eve tries to blame Satan. This was the first attempt at the devil made me do it excuse that people use. Look back at verse 13 of our text this morning. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now notice something here. Eve, first of all, admits what she did. Notice that very last two words, I ate. She knows what she did. She knows that God knows what she did. So there's no denying the reality of sin. She is caught, and there's no way she can say, no, no, I really didn't do it. It's like she, it's obvious she did it. So she does not deny the reality of sin, but notice that she denies her guilt for doing so. She's saying, yes, I sinned, but I am not responsible. I'm not guilty. I did it, but I'm not guilty. It's not my fault. And she says the fault of the serpent. Now, it's important for us to realize what she's doing here because it's still done today. Instead of owning up to her own sin, she plays the victim card. She claims to be a victim and she couldn't help it. People do this all the time today. When they sin, instead of thinking they're responsible, they want to find something else to blame to avoid guilt themselves. Now, Eve, to her credit here, picks a least illogical object to pass the guilt on to. Look, Satan, the devil, the evil being, he is the one who made me do it. But as we'll see over the next few weeks, God does not accept this excuse. Eve is still held responsible for her sin. Why is that, friends? Because Satan cannot make God's people do anything. 
And that's so important for us to realize as God's people, Satan cannot make us do anything. If you are a child of God, you do not have to do what the enemy tempts you to do. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 beautifully tells us this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. Now, before we move on, notice this. It says you were slaves of sin. If you do not know Christ, if you've not had God's grace changing you and transforming you, you can't help but sin. The Bible says you are a slave to sin. But if you know Jesus, then he tells us here that we're no longer slaves. And look at verse 18 that follows that. And we've been set free from sin and we become slaves of righteousness. If you know Jesus, then you cannot say the devil made me do it. You've been freed from the slavery of sin. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit within you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you are a child of God, then you have the Holy Spirit of God within you, and he is greater than the enemy. You can never say the enemy made me do it because you have the Holy Spirit within you. That means when we sin, we can't blame Satan for it. We sin because we wanted to sin. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We studied this several years ago. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Notice this, by his own desire. The temptation is because our desires are already there. Verse 15, he carries on in James. And desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So we sin because we want what has been offered to us. This is exactly true of Eve. If you go back to Genesis 3 verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She wanted what was offered to her. She wanted to be her own authority. She wanted to have unending knowledge, and it was her own desires that led her down that path. So when he tries the excuse, the devil made me do it, God doesn't accept that excuse because it was Eve's own desire. She wanted what was put before her. And friends, when you and I sin, it's because our own desires want what is out there. We have no one to blame but ourselves. So the first passing of the blame we see here in Genesis 3 is that Eve tries to blame Satan. But there's a second passing of the blame here, and this one comes from Adam. Look at verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So there's two parts of what Adam does here. Let's start with one of them here. Adam, first of all, tries to blame Eve here. Again, notice the end of verse 12. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So notice he does the same thing Eve does here. He does not deny the reality of sin. He knows what he did. He knows that God knows what he did. So he has to own up to the fact that at least he had sinned. But friends, realize this, acknowledging sin is not the same thing as repenting. Just simply saying, I sin, does not mean you are repentant on this. Adam acknowledges his sin because he's caught, but again, he does not accept responsibility. He does not accept the guilt for what he he does. He does what Eve does, and he tries to pass on the guilt to someone else. But unlike Eve, he doesn't blame Satan. He blames another image bearer of God. He blames his wife. This sudden change of Adam's attitude is so striking. Think back to Adam's first reaction to Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. When he saw her for the first time, he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There's joy, there's excitement in the presence of his wife. And now we come to chapter 3, verse 12, and the joy is gone. The thankfulness is gone. 
the oneness is gone, and now he sees Eve as the problem. In fact, in verse 12, the word she here is the word that's given the emphasis. It's almost like he's, sh he's shouting, she, her, she's the problem. He's like shouting it back to God, blaming his wife for what had he had done. And what he did, what Adam did, was even worse than what Eve did. Not only did he pass the blame, but he's now forsaking his calling to his wife. He had a God-given calling to nurture Eve, to care for Eve, to love Eve, and to protect her. And instead of protecting her, he now abandons that calling for his own selfish, self-protecting pursuits. And the reality is many people still do that today. In the book, The Masculine Mandate, Richard Phillips says this. He says, with these words, Adam became the first and a long line of male blame shifters, not accepting responsibility for his own sin, but casting the guilt onto his wife. And friends, I can tell you how many times over the years I have heard men try to justify their sexual sins, men try to justify their anger by blaming their wives for what they are doing or are not doing. And we cannot do that. We can blame no one but ourselves for our sin. But reality, this is not just a problem for men. Men and women, adults and kids still all do this day. We want to find someone else to blame instead of blaming ourselves. But like we'll see again in the next few weeks, God does not accept Adam's excuse either. He's not like, oh man, you're right, Adam. She's the problem. Sorry about that. I'll go take care of her. You're off the hook. There's no getting off the hook here. Adam is held responsible for his sin. God does not accept Adam's excuse, and God does not accept our excuses either. Why? Because with every temptation for the child of God, there is a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is one we need to memorize, own, think about so often. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And notice this, God is faithful. Here's the character of God. Here's the promise of God to his children, his people. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, friends, Paul's right there. This means when Satan wants to tempt you, he has to get God's permission first. God is sovereign. Satan is not. And God does not allow the enemy to tempt you in any way that you do not have the strength and his strength to resist. And so he promises you. This is a promise based on the character of God. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the promise for the child of God, again, if you do not know Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins, if you're not walking with God and experiencing his grace, this is not a promise you can claim. You're still a slave to sin. But for those who know Jesus, this is a promise you can cling to. Every time a temptation comes, God in his faithfulness will give you a way out. Now, let the weight of that sink in with what we just said in James. When we sin, we sin because our own desires want what is out there. That means when we choose to sin, it's not just because we want it. It also means we're now choosing to reject the way out that God has provided for us. And couple those two truths together. We sin because our desires want it, and we sin because we're rejecting the way out God has provided. That means when we sin, we can blame no one else. We cannot blame the enemy. We cannot blame anyone in our lives. We cannot because it's our own choice. We wanted it, and we chose to reject the way out. Now, that also means for us, friends, in our struggle against sin, the problem is not out there. The problem is here. So often we want to see the problem is I didn't have the right boundaries or I got exposed to something. No, the problem is our own hearts. Our hearts want what's out there and our hearts reject the way out that God gives. Now for parents, this is very sobering for us because that means the greatest threat to our children is not out there, it's their own hearts. And so much in our parenting, so often we try to draw boundaries and boundaries are good to protect our kids from all this out there, but the greatest danger, they can be protected from everything out there, the greatest danger is their own hearts. Hearts, and we have to make sure we're parenting for the heart. So, so far, we've seen we cannot blame Satan for our sin, we cannot blame other people for our sin, but there's one more blaming here, one more part of the blame game, and it is the worst of all 
The third one is that Adam tries to blame God for his sin. Adam tries to blame God for his sin. Go back to verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Don't miss this first part here. The woman you, God, you gave to me, she's the one who did this. Adam is saying to God, you giving me Eve is why I sinned. He's saying, God, you're the problem. You're malicious. You are why I sinned. You realize Adam is doing the exact same thing that Satan just did a few verses earlier. Go back to verses four and five, because here Satan calls into question the goodness of God. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what Satan is doing there? Satan is accusing God of withholding good from his people. Satan is calling into question the faithfulness of the character of God. And Adam is now doing the exact same thing. Go back to verse 12. The woman whom you, God, you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. He is now accusing God not just of keeping good from him, but giving him something that takes away his good. And so one day Adam is going from loving his wife to using her to protect himself. He's going in one day from loving God to now hating God. One of the authors I read this week said it so well, describing Adam and Eve. There they are now, void of any love for God. They see God as the author of their sin because it is God who creates the circumstances in which they fail. And so they resent God. They hate God. They despise God. They want to be out of God's presence. They want to keep their distance from God. Their hearts are now void of any love for God. And friends, that tendency is still there today. People can be religious and people can come to church, but if you corner them in their sin and there's no way out and they cannot blame others, they will quickly blame their circumstances, which is ultimately blaming God for putting them in those circumstances, and they will, or they will blame God himself for giving them those sinful tendencies. Friends, the reality is we can never blame God for our sin. God is good, God is holy, God is perfect, and God never tempts anyone. James chapter 1, verse 13. This is right before the text we looked at earlier. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And here it is, God himself tempts no one. Friends, it is evil when we try to blame God for our sin. We see in 1 John 1, 5, we see the character of God on full display. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so friends, if we try to blame God for our sinful tendencies, our sin nature, if we try to blame God for the sinful things we do, we may think we're bringing God down. We're not. God is glorious. We're simply exposing the vileness of our heart that would take a holy God and cast our guilt on to him. So there's three faulty attempts to pass the blame here. Eve tries to blame Satan. Adam tries to blame Eve. Adam tries to blame God. And as we'll see in the next several weeks, God does not accept their passing of the blame. Judgment comes for their sin and their lack of repentance. So if what they did did not work, what should we do instead? Now remember here that God is asking questions of them. Go back to verse 11. God said, who told you that you are naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? We saw it in our text today in verse 13. He does the same thing for Eve. What is this that you have done? God is asking questions here. But did you notice something? God never asked a question of the serpent. The one who started all this, God never asked a question. He asked a question to Adam. He asked a question to Eve. We'll see down the road in chapter four. He'll ask a question of Cain. What have you done? But he never asked a question of the serpent. Why, friends? Because God is not asking for information. God knows everything and is everywhere. God is asking questions to give opportunities to repent. 
And God never asked a question of the serpent because Satan and the demons have no opportunity to repent. Once they disobeyed, once they rebelled in heaven and were cast out, there is no second chance. There is no coming back in confession and contrition saying, I was wrong, I should never have rebelled against you, God. They are never given a chance to repent. So God is asking questions to the people, his image bearers, not to the serpent because he's giving them an opportunity to repent. That makes those questions even more remarkable because God would be just to do for Adam and Eve and for us what he did for the serpent, just curses. Only curses, no hope of redemption because they've rebelled against him. But God does to his image bearers what he does not do for the fallen angels. He gives grace that they do not deserve. He gives them an opportunity to repent and to receive and forgiveness and help. And that makes the loving pursuit of God to me and to you even more remarkable. Because he doesn't have to do that for us, but he has chosen to do that. So when God pursues us in our sin, when we read the scriptures and we find conviction, we go, I'm breaking God's word here. When the Holy Spirit inside us convicts us of sin in our heart, when a loving believer points out lovingly sin in our lives, it is the grace of God calling us to repent like he was doing for Adam and Eve right here. And so what should we do? Not hide not blame. What do we do? We saw it two weeks ago, but 1 John 1, 9. This text so well that summarizes what we should do instead. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, friends, we read this often. I fear sometimes we miss the wonder of what is being offered to us right here. God did not have to offer us this. He would be just to condemn us and ask no questions like he did the serpent, but instead he offers us questions. He draws us. He gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us community to bring us and draw us to a place of repentance. I love how the prophet Isaiah describes God doing this in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Then in verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. And this is for he will abundantly pardon. Our God is a God of great mercy and great grace and great pardon on this. And God is drawing out Adam and Eve to say, I will pardon, I will forgive, come to me. And they reject it instead, friends. But God offers to us and God pursues us in our sins, so that we may repent and believe as well, so we can find his abundant pardon. Which remind us of the truth. How is it possible for God to do that for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him and Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, in the Old Testament for Adam and Eve, The call to repent was a call to look for the promised one who's to come. We're going to see this over the next few weeks. The hope of the Messiah, the hope of the Redeemer who will come rescue his people from their sins. And for us, we're now looking back to what they were looking forward to, that the Messiah has come, what we celebrated last week, that Jesus has come. And he took the blame for us, the curse for us, the punishment for us. I want to remind us of something I say often, but it's so important as we think about this truth. Friends, God never forgives sin. God only forgives sinners. And that distinction is so important as we think about texts like this. God never forgives sin. God only forgives sinners. Every sin is punished. Either we bear it, which takes all eternity in hell, or Christ in a moment bears it for us. God is so holy and so perfect and such a God of justice. Every sin is dealt with. No sin is forgiven. Only sinners are forgiven. And we're only forgiven because he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so in Genesis 3, God is calling to Adam and Eve with these questions, 
trying to bring them to a place to confess, to repent, to forsake their sins because a redeemer would come who would take their sins so they have the ability to run to him for forgiveness and help. And God is calling us today through his Holy Spirit, through his word, through loving believers in our life to confess our sins, to repent of our sins, to forsake our sins because the Messiah has come and has taken our sins for us. And friends, when we run to God in our sins, I want you to notice what happens. Psalm 32, this is a Psalm of King David. Psalm 32 Blessed is the one. Don't miss that word blessed. This when we run to God doing what we saw in 1 John 1. We confess our sins instead of passing the blame. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2, he carries on. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3. When I kept silent, I notice this is what happens when we blame others, when we hide from God. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Friends, when we hide our sin, when we try to pass the blame for our sin, we keep wasting away. No hope is found in doing what Adam and Eve did and that we do so often. But verse 4, notice what happens. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This picture of God pursuing his people, that if you are in Christ, God loves you too much to leave you lost in your sin, to leave you lost playing the blame game. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But verse 5 comes. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Now we cover our iniquity sometimes by hiding, like Adam and Eve first did. Sometimes we cover our iniquity by blaming others. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my Sin. And what happened to David when he ran to the Lord and quit hiding and blaming? Verse 11, this is the transformation that happens in the heart of one who finds forgiveness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all, all you upright in heart. God is offering to us the opportunity to run to him because of what Christ has done. Stop blaming other people and take our sin to him, and he will forgive and he will restore to us the joy of our salvation. So let's bring all that together. Here's the main truth of this text, the challenge for us to try to live out by God's grace from verses 11 to 13. It's this, God calls us to confess and repent of our sins, not try to pass the blame to others. God's calling to you and to me is the same it was to Adam and Eve, to come to him, to acknowledge our sin, to deal with our sin, to confess it, to repent of it, to seek his help for change, not to try to blame others. The reality is I have sin in my life and you have sin in your life. So the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we blaming our circumstances for it? Are we blaming our past and our upbringing? Are we blaming other people who are image bearers of God? Are we blaming God himself? When we realize we have sin, are we running to Jesus? Confessing it to him, agreeing with his standard. Are we grieving over our sin? Are we seeking forgiveness for it? Are we desiring to forsake it? And are we asking him to change us? God calls us to confess and repent of our sins, not to pass the blame to others. So what do we do when we realize we have sin? I'm going to leave you with the lyrics of the old hymn, Just As I Am. Some of you grew up singing this. Some of you may not be as familiar with it. But in Just As I Am, I think we have it up on the screen for you. I want you to see this. This is how the answer to our question today. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Friends, we have no plea, not the devil made me do it, not she made me do it, not my circumstances caused my sin, not God, you're responsible. The only thing we can say is I'm guilty. God, my only hope is you. My only plea is that his blood was shed for me and that thou knowest thou bids me come to thee. That's verses 11 and 13 in this text today. God is bidding to Adam and Eve to come to him and to stop hiding and to stop blaming. And God, through his Holy Spirit and his word and community now, bids to us to come to him. And so I love how the author of the hymn says it, O Lamb of God, I come 
I come. And then the next verse, just as I am and waiting not. Now just pause right there on that one. Because so many believers saying, some of you today still may be waiting. So hiding with your sin, still blaming others for your sin. So easy for all us to do. But just as I am, I'm waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. What do we do? O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And so the question for us from Genesis 3 this morning is, are we waiting? Are we hiding? Are we blaming? Or are we running to the Lamb of God saying, I come. I come. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Restore me. And change me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you show us things like Genesis 3, not just so we can see a nice historical story or not just so we understand where sin came from, but so we can look into our own heart. These are given for our instruction that we might understand you and your holiness and your goodness and your power and your sovereignty, but also to understand our depravity and our desperate, desperate need for you. And so we thank you in a text like this where we see the evil of the first blame games happening in creation. God, we also see your grace, your grace that calls to your sinful creatures, giving them opportunity to come to repent and believe and confess their sin. Lord, I pray that we would see the wonder of that. Lord, you didn't have to give Adam and Eve opportunities to repent, and you didn't have to give us opportunities to repent either. God, you could leave us lost in our sins. You could judge us and send us to hell, and you would be just and righteous and still good. But yet, Lord, you came. Lord Jesus, you were born of that virgin in a manger. You lived that perfect life, fulfilling the law that we break every single day. You went to that cruel Roman cross to take the punishment for our sins so that our sins penalty could be paid for and we could be restored to a right relationship with you. So that when we do continue to sin, we can run to you for freedom, for forgiveness, for help. So Lord, I pray we would not lose the wonder of that invitation that you give to us to stop blaming our circumstances, to stop blaming other people, to stop blaming you, to stop blaming the enemy, but to say it's my own heart, it's the evil in my heart is why I sinned this week. Lord, help change me. Lord, I pray we would treasure not only your saving grace that frees us from the penalty of sin, but we would treasure your transforming grace that frees us from the power of sin. So Lord, I just pray right now, if there's anyone, child or adult in this room, who does not know you, who's never experienced your saving and your transforming grace, that Lord, you would let them see their need for you and they would run to you in repentance and faith. And Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, we confess we still have sin in our life. We've all sinned in the last 24 hours. You see it so clearly, Lord. Give us much grace this week to not hide from you, not try to hide our sin, to not try to blame others for our sin, but to run to you seeking more and more of your grace to not only forgive us, but to transform us so that we can be more like Christ. So Lord, thank you for your goodness in pursuing us. Thank you for your love for us that loves us too much to leave us where we are, but that chases after us. And I pray this week we'd be a people who would respond to your pursuit of us and we would see you growing us in godliness because of simply what you have done for us. For your glory we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song and think about the grace of Christ?
What will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing the that is 
that we can proclaim as a praise to you that you are our hope. You've given us grace, and so we hope in you, and yet that is our prayer as well. Increase our hope in you this week. God, you know what we'll face this week, and so we ask for much grace this week, that we would hope in you no matter what happens this week, so that we find joy and you receive the glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you.